You're listening to the Even Odds Podcast on the Constructed Criticism Network. Here are your hosts, Mason and Trey, and thank you for rolling with us. Welcome to the 14th episode of the Even Odds Podcast. I am your spoiler season host, Mason, and I'm joined by Preview Card Trey. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Also, we have our uh, podcast pup, Horton, and it's his 11th birthday today. He's getting them belly rubs. He's very happy. Yeah, so you didn't know dog gets belly rubs a lot during the podcast. That's just the magic of the music, baby. That's how we keep him from jingle jangling all over your ride home. <laughs> That's right. Well, today we are going to do our pick two set review. If you haven't been listening since the pilot, we do a pretty interesting way of doing a set review. We're going to get more than that in a second, but first, got to make sure that we greet our ad from our sponsor, Goblin Char Bargains. That's right. Everyone's favorite ad uh, sponsor is back, Goblin Char Bargains, with the best turn one deals on the internet. If you're like me, and I think you are. You are getting roped, 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 roped by all the salty boys all over the arena ladder. But there is no reason to sit through their chatless tears anymore with Rakdos Rope Cutters. These little razor-clawed psychos are guaranteed to cut through any rope of any size, any length, and end the game on the bloody spot. Rakdos Rope Cutters. Don't forget to use the discount code at checkout. Hashtag take that salty boy with an eye. That's right. Make sure to use that at the end. That way, Goblin Charbargains knows we sent you. But... Let's hop right into our set reviews. So let's kind of talk about it. So the way we like to do a set review is we do a pick two. We have five different categories, and we talk about two cards each for each category. So the first one, I think, really it embodies what magic is on Twitter, and that's the hot take category. <laughs> so you might, if you're not part of magic Twitter, it's full of hot takes, and we've got some hot takes for you today. Trey, do you want to go first with your first hot take card? Uh, sure. My first hot take card is Lumbering Battlement. I know. I, I, don't know. I know. Mason doesn't even know what it is, and the reaction is great. Yeah, we need to show each other our list just for the record. Yeah, I want these op- authentic reactions. So Lumbering Battlement is a, a rare creature beast for one white and four. It is a four five vigilance. When Lumbering Battlement enters the battlefield, exile any number of other non-token creatures you control until it leaves the battlefield. Lumbering Battlement gets plus two plus two for each card that has exiled this way. So when it enters the battlefield, it exiles other creatures? Exiles other creatures that you control. Yes. Non-token ones. Okay. And then it gets plus two, plus two for Great. however many of those that it did. And then when Lumbering Battlement leaves play, those creatures come back into play. Oh, I know what you're going to do. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this card right now is 99 cents. And probably right. probably appropriately. <laughs> okay. But I do think that this is something that's interesting to pick up, and my, my hot take on it is that this card is playable, and not only that, may actually be good. First thing with this is that Lumbering Battlement yeah, can create an infinite loop with itself. If you have three Lumbering Battlements, you go infinite with Lumbering Battlements. Don't you go infinite with two? No, because you need, you need three. Because the first one comes into play, exiles another creature. Yeah. Then the second one comes into play and exiles that one. Okay. And so uh, then, sure. then you need a third one to exile that, and then they come back and it creates a loop. So right. if you exile a card with a come into play effect, like the Celica Bell Haunt mm-hmm. that does uh, makes your opponent discard a card and you gain three life, and you have three lumbering battlements, you gain infinite life. Now that's a lot. <laughs> I realize that's a lot to ask for. But there is also a blink card in the set, which is something that's really interesting. Just a car's portal. Just a car's portal is an instant. 
common, white and one colorless, uh, exile target creature you control, then return that card into the battlefield, and it gets first strike until end of turn. So you can do a lot of tricky stuff with Lumbering Battlement right now, of exiling things that have come into play effects, like the angel that sets you to one, or this, or things that draw you a card, or bounce your opponent's creatures, or any of those different kinds of things. Make a giant thing with vigilance, and then attack, and then blink it, bring them all back into play, exile them again, and all other kinds of shenanigans. And I think that this card has a lot of potential and is really cool. It also is huge as far as like blocking a bunch of stuff and being relevant in combat. That's a very hot take. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure what was going to happen when we did this category, but I think we went different directions. <laughs> so my first hot take card is Basilica Bellhaunt. Uh, oh, you mean Lumbering Battlement's best friend? I believe it's called Siege right now. Uh, white, white, black, black, creature spirit. When Basilica Bellhaunt enters the battlefield, each opponent discards a card and you gain three life. And it's a three, four. Uh, spirit, for what that's worth. So this card is very similar to Siege Rhino, and I think, while it will not be as oppressive as Siege Rhino, I think in some decks it's going to play out very similarly to Siege Rhino, where your opponent plays this, and the game kind of stalemates, and kind of slows down drastically. Gaining three life is a lot, having your opponent discard three, uh, discard a card is relevant, and it matters in a lot of different kind of matchups, so it makes the card kind of versatile, right? If you're getting beat down by Goblin Chain Rollers, boom, you play a 3-4, Gain back some of that life and get rid of their last burn card, maybe their frenzy, right? If they're like top decking or nearing that point. Then it also is very helpful against control decks because it has the okay size body that makes them discard a card, right? So if they can't, if they're trying to like chemistry's inside, for example, then they chemistry's, then they'll lose another card. And they don't counter this, they don't get the chemistry's. It's very taxing on those turns. I think this card's very good and hasn't been talked about enough. And I think it's the new Siege right now. Yeah, I, I also love this card. I think this card's great. And again, this goes really well with Just a Car's Portal, which is a card that nobody's talked about. The common Blink card. Blink effects, there hasn't been a two-mana Blink effect in Standard in a long time, and Blink cards are messed up. Can I talk? So, it, two funny little side stories here. One, uh, before the podcast got started, Trace, like, oh, I thought about this Basilica Bellhaunt card a good bit. I'm like, that's my first card, Trace, stop talking. <laughs> so, yeah. Second... Uh, it's funny you keep mentioning no one's talk about the Blink card, because we're recording on Sunday. That card was revealed on Friday, so there's been no one to talk about it. Great. So we're the first. Yeah, I'm we're getting hot right now. <laughs> Just a Car's Portal is dope, and you should be blinking your stuff, because it's going to be really great. Buy 100 of that card. Like, especially, you have this guy, you play Basilica Bellhaunt, comes into play, somebody uses a removal spell on it, you get to counter that, give your thing first strike, make them discard another card, gain three life. Hot. Wow, that, that's standard power level. Hot. What do you got? Hot takes. <laughs> uh, hot takes. Uh, also, I do think that if that Basilica Bellhaunt, I think the best place to try to do it is in an Absom deck. I think that's where that card would be at home. Sense. Yeah. That or four color of Nico Boss, they always <laughs> discredit card on turn four. Every game. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you that I tried to do a lot of deck lists with Basilica Bellhaunt, and I, I have had a lot of failed attempts of trying to find a home for it, but I do think that that's where it would fit. Uh, all right. Hot take number two. Uh, this is going to be the hottest of takes. There's only two, so I believe so. That's right. Uh, hot take. Kaya Orzov a Serper. I know that one. Uh, this is a planeswalker that has been called the new Tybalt <laughs> um, for being a failure of design. Kaya Orzov a Serper is a black white colorless. Uh, comes in with three loyalty. It has a plus one, is exile up to two target cards from a single graveyard. You gain two life if at least one creature was exiled this way. Minus one, exile target non land permanent with converted mana cost one or less. And then minus five, Kaya Orzava Surfer deals damage to target player equal to the number of cards that player owns in exile, and you gain that much life. This is generally, from everything that I've seen so far, people have been saying that this card is horrible and unplayable. And I think that that is wrong, and I think that it is short-sighted. 
I do think that this card is a sideboard card at best. I do think that you will also at some point die to this card this standard season. Um, the primary reason being is that there are a lot of sack effects that are going on. There are a lot of things that are going on as far as rewarding you for playing games with your graveyard, whether that's Gruesome Menagerie or Fine Finality or Gutter Bones or any of these other kinds of things. And that graveyard hate spells is going to be something that you're on the lookout for at some point during the standard season. This is a graveyard hate spell that can also then kill your opponent. And I think it's something that you're going to see and it's going to see some play at some point. Is it my turn to talk? It is. All right, I'll talk about this card some more with you. So this is interesting. So I saw this card, and I read it, and I'm like, this card's so bizarre, and we got it so early in spoilers, that I just assumed that Orzhov would have cards that work with this card. There's only, I think, a couple cards that actually mentioning exile cards from your opponent with black-white, so I'm very confused by this card. Mm -hmm. I just think it's a plant for future sets. I'm inter I think you might lose to it in best of one on Arena, because, like, if you, like, a deck that has a weakness to uh, graveyard uh, decks and you were like, need a lot of Planeswalkers, that card's very powerful. I don't know if I... It's an interesting card, and I don't want to speak too much because it's so weird in its design that it's hard to really give a take on it. If I was going to give a hot take on it, I would say it's more likely to see modern play than standard. And I think this card uh, is very good against the, the deck Grixis Death Shadow. So if you hate Grixis Death Shadow, every mode on this card is good against them. The take-up's good against Sapcaster Mage and Delving. If they delve, the ultimate kills them because they have a low life total, and the minus kills that shadows. That's like kind of my take on the card. I'm not so sure about Sandra. We'll see. There's a lot of Orzhov cards right now, though. There are, and it's the thing that I mean. It, it's 14.99 right now. I don't think I'd be pre-ordering them at 14.99, but I think that this is a card that people have written off uh, too quickly and unnecessarily instead of thinking about where its utilities are. And I think that this is a card that will see some play. I think that's fair. And uh, you know, if you're in black white and you graveyard hate, it is a card that's at least passable. At times, if assuming the bigger next slow enough, uh, my hot take card is another black white card. We knew we were gonna do all this, <laughs> all this horizontal all the time. Ethereal Absolution. It is Ooh. four white black for an enchantment that has a lot of effects. So when uh, when enters the battlefield, it has these three passive, well, two passive effects. One is creatures you control get plus one plus one. Creatures your opponent control get minus one minus one. This is what we call the static zealous persecution. Exactly the static zealous persecution. Then it has an activated ability that's two white black. Exile target card from an opponent's graveyard. If a if it was a creature card, you create a one one white black spirit creature token with flying. Interesting how we both kind of took cards that I think were uh, good at targeting graveyards and control decks. Uh, also for slow grinding decks. So I think this card has been written off kind of like you said with Kaya because of its mana cost more than anything. And I think that uh, this is not a card that we'll see playing all black white decks, but decks that really want to go wide with tokens or answers to tokens and can kind of like keep them at bay but as the game goes really long it becomes hard having this stack effect is powerful and it also doubles as kind of okay graveyard hate and the, the thing that's interesting to me is we don't really have a whole lot that actually comes back out of the graveyard except for gutter bones right now in standard which is just now entering the format i think we'll have a moment later in the show but regardless i think this card is powerful in token decks i think it's an okay sideboard card if you have someone to generate tokens to win condition so i could see like a Prison-style black-white deck that uses Dawn of Hope as its win condition, and then uses this to kind of be like, all right, my Dawn of Hope things are bigger, and then even if I don't have tokens at this moment, it at least slows you down some. So you get Cleansing Nova, they rebuild a little bit, you play this, and a lot of creatures right now in Standard are fairly small. In fact, except for Gruul, most creatures kind of cap out at 3-3. That's kind of my uh, take on the card. Yeah, and so those things capping out at 3-3 hit a really excellent point, right? 
Like, if your opponent has a bunch of 3-3s three and you have a bunch of 1-1s, one and then you play this card, now all of your stuff trades with all of their stuff in combat. That's true. Like, it's not, even if it doesn't just kill things immediately, like, a plus 1, minus 1 effect is huge as far as what it does to the boards, if not just killing everything, right? Like, with Chain Whirler, we've certainly seen how many things you can kill by just doing 1 damage to everything. So giving everything a permanent minus one, minus one is pretty powerful. Another interesting thing about this card is you read it, and it reads like it would be legendary. Yeah. At six mana, and it's not. So you can play one of these on six, play one of these on seven, play one of these on... Like, if you can chain them together, all of a sudden, your opponent, like, can't play creatures. So it's an interesting card to have in multiples. I've never really seen this kind of effect like that that's not legendary. Yeah, well, also, that's not targeted at tokens, right? right. Like, it's normally either you have a bunch of them for tokens... We have, like, Night, uh, Soul of Night's Betrayal, where you get one of them. And so I think this card is interesting in those things. I also think we've been kind of we've messed around, not recently, but early in testing, like, a black-white mid-rangey deck that uses, like, treasure map and things like that. And I can see this maybe slotting in there, where maybe you control the order of the game a little bit, you moment are craving, you play a Basilica Valhaunt, you kind of flip your treasure map, you play this, you play another one, right? Or maybe you play this and you use your treasures to, like, answer something that this doesn't really hold back. So I think this card has the potential to be very good. That's why it's, it's my hot take. Because I, I'm not saying it is good, essentially. Mm-hmm. Other people are saying it's bad. So. Yeah, and with Predator Map, you can be playing this card on turn four, you know, pretty consistently. Yes, yeah, turn four. That's yep. great. All right, well. All right, so now we're going to the Grown Test is the next category. The Grown Test, which is if you were sitting across from someone and your opponent played a card, you just want to roll your eyes and grab your stomach. <sighs> Resolves. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mason, what's your first grown test card? Funny enough that I said resolve, but my first grown test card is Rhythm of the Wild. Ooh. <laughs> what a beating. <laughs> One red green for an enchantment. It says creature spells you control cannot be countered. It's pretty good. And then non-creatures you control have, I'm sorry, non-token creatures you control have Riot. And Riot is the Google mechanic that says when a creature as it's entering the battlefield either gains haste or has a plus one plus one counter on it. So this card has a lot of applications and does a lot of things, but I'm going to start off with the first line text. And the reason it's on the ground test is as this point. It can be countered. So against control decks, typically you can, like, answer a couple things early against a gruel-type deck and wipe the board, and then they kind of stick one thing and you spot removal and counter their next threat, and then they're dead. If you can stick this, like, on turn two with an Elvish Mystic, and maybe even turn three if they tap out for a Search Rest Tanta, you have now had this huge advantage over them, because your creatures can't be answered on the opponent's tar- uh, turn normally. Also, because Riot gives haste, every creature in your deck has haste now. The interesting thing about haste is it's actually like a super powerful mechanic that you only ever see on small creatures. The reason you only see it on small creatures or overcosted big things is because it's so powerful. If you suddenly tack haste onto a lot of creatures, if your opponent's trying to answer you at one for one and they can't answer them on their opponent's turn, it becomes much harder for them to win. So if you play like Null Hide Ferox, which I admit is a little Gene Kirby, right? What is your counterspell opponent supposed to do? Even what is your mid-range opponent supposed to do, right? You're supposed to play Null Hide Ferox, and it'd be like, it's a 6-6, six, six, and I have at least have a turn to, like, remove Hexproof and cast down it. Now it's, like, attack you for 6. Also, the last part of this card is it also synergizes very well with other cards in the set, and it's like, ugh, okay, yeah, now your Simic Growth Guardian enters, and you get another one. Yeah, okay. So, I think that card is why it is on the Grown Test. This did not make my list on the Grown Test, but it is a Grown-worthy card. Um... This card is basically the new Fires of Yavamaya. Fires of Yavamaya was an old card uh, at about 2001, uh, approximately. <laughs> yeah, two, yeah, 2001. Um, that card was a card that defined a format. Like, mm-hmm. that card was powerful enough that it was essentially the deck to beat and the deck to play at that time. This card is better than that card. Yeah, I, I mean, it, almost always. Like, 
it is better in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. So this card is very groan-inducing, and, and you touched on a thing that I don't think enough people have been talking about with this card, is this card is very splashable in a lot of different other kinds of decks other than just being in a gruel deck and can have a lot of impact in a lot of places. Yeah, like, just, I think a free one is kind of like, if you look at Incubation Druid, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, it is the elf that if, it can make a one color of any mana, but if you play it, and it has a, I'm sorry, if it's in play with a plus one, plus one counter on it, it can make three a mana of any color, because it essentially becomes Black Lotus that doesn't sacrifice, right? The idea is you adapt to the late game, but if you go this into this, then now suddenly you broke even on mana. And the last thing to probably say is Riot does stack. Mm-hmm. So Rhythm doesn't have a problem where if you have multiple Rhythms that do nothing, it just becomes you get either two plus one plus one counters or plus one plus one haste, which is backbreaking. Yeah. And, and, worth noting. and worth noting, the Black Lotus that you don't sacrifice is called Gilded Lotus. Gilded Never heard Lotus. of it. Black Lotus is much more powerful <laughs> and goes in the hot take category better. Alright. Uh, my first Grown Test card is a enchantment as well, uh, but it is an uncommon enchantment uh, as well, with Wilderness Reclamation, which is green and three, uh, and at the beginning of your instep, untap all lands you control. This card has the potential to make a lot of problems in a lot of ways, because anything that cheats the mana system in Magic is automatically a place that you should be paying attention to, because cheating the mana is normally something where they look back on and are like, hey, we're sorry, we didn't know that breaking the systems of the game was going to be a bad idea. But there are a lot of big, powerful uh, instants that can be done. I mean, the easiest place to look at is Nexus of Fate, also... Um, expansion uh, Explosion. Expansion Explosion. Those are really powerful things to be doing. Because you can play this card, and normally when you play a four-mana do-nothing card like this, the thing that you get taxed on is like, okay, well, I played this, and I have four-mana, and I had to spend a whole turn and take it off and play this card. Not with this card. You play this card, and it resolves, and then you get to untap and use the four-mana that you just used immediately that turn for, say, like a Chemist's Insight that would fit perfectly in that type of a situation. And then the next turn, you have access to ten-mana during your instep. It's just got... It's something that so your opponent's going to play it, and you're going to know that their entire deck is built around abusing it, and you're just going to have to roll your eyes and and deal with it. So, Wilderness Reclamation is my other grown test card. <laughs> so, I, I will say the the last thing that I would have not I would have said that you did not say is that this card, when it resolves, is so powerful. That's like why I'm getting the grown off. I actually don't think this card. I think it'll be very good game ones and games two and three of the format will adapt to it. I think there are a lot of enchantments and stuff like that. Anytime this card is absol- uh, resolves, sorry, it is so hard to beat because the mana advantage, like you said, is atrocious. It's just, <laughs> yeah, you, you, yeah. Can't, you can't overcome it. And yeah, yeah. If your opponent just gets double mana every turn, like mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to win no matter what you're doing. Yeah. Right? And if you're building this, uh, building a deck that has this card in it, you're definitely building the deck in a way to abuse that. Like, you're going to use the, the instance and things that you have access to in order to try to abuse this card. For sure. And much like Rhythm, it scales well in multiple. Someone didn't even notice before, but like, if you have two of these in play, and you, let's say, you go turn four Rhythm, I'm uh, sorry, that's uh, Reclamation, is the name? Yeah, Wilderness Reclamation. Wilderness Reclamation. Turn four uh, Wilderness, turn five Wilderness, you then have, uh, that would be 11 mana, right? Because you have one up, and then you float five, float five, because you have two triggers on tapping. Right. If you do that with Expansion Explosion on the next turn, you made 18 mana and you draw 14 cards and hit something for 14. Probably their face. Yeah. So, <laughs> the card scales very well, and that's part of the reason why it's also on my ground. It's just like, ugh. <laughs> Can't win if it resolves. I don't think it'll be format warping. At least I hope not. What, what, so, what's your last card on the thing? Since oh, that was mine as well. Right. So, my last card on the grown test is Judith the Scourge Diva. Wow. Yeah. My love. I know. Judith the Scourge Diva, if you can possibly not know at this point, is black-red colorless. Uh, it's a 2-2 legendary human shaman. 
Other creatures you control get plus one plus O. Oh. Whenever a non-token creature you control dies, Judith the Scourge Diva pings any target. Not opponent, any target. Uh, essentially, this is a grunt to me because it makes combat a total nightmare. And it also makes board sweeps a total nightmare. And it makes living a total nightmare. And it makes the game of magic a total nightmare. Uh, I don't know what play the Scourge Diva is in, but I know that it's going to get bad reviews. <laughs> Wait, it's going to get bad reviews? Oh, play. The, the play. I'm sorry. See, yeah. I get it. You see, it's a fictional play, and she's starring in it. And there's knives and blood in some capacity. I just make a bad Lady Gaga joke and go, Judas, just like Judas, but oh, that's sure. all I do. Yeah, I, I actually, I think this is, like, spoilers, I talk about it in my best cards in the set later on, but we mentioned it so much last week that I didn't want to mention it again. I think this card is one of the top five best cards in the set. And it's also, I have, since last week, practiced more and played against and with decks that use Judith not only as a beatdown strategy, but as something with an aristocrat style, and it's been very powerful. Kind of as expected. So. Right, yeah. But it's a thing that to me is, is groan-inducing of just like, if you're trying to compete in kind of a mid-range or creature type of matchup, you're going to have a problem. And if you're trying to sweep the board and stay alive, you're going to have a problem. Yeah. And it, it just, as soon as they are like, all right, I've got all my plans and everything is going to go okay. And then they play Judith and uh, now I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. And also like common acting of the nightmare. It's just, it's groan-inducing. <laughs> Alright, next up we have the Hopeful cards. So these are cards that we're pretty sure are like on the fringe and we really want them to be good. And my first Hopeful card is Priest of the Forgotten Gods. That card's got a lot of text on it. It does. I'm glad I get to read it. <laughs> one one black creature human claim. Whoa, it's a human! Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about this in modern humans. Oh hey, my goodness. Have you considered putting this in humans? <laughs> oh my god, it's a human! I should probably pick up this card while I still can. Alright, uh, <laughs> sacrifice two other creatures... Uh, so you can tap it, sorry, sacrifice two other creatures, and uh, any number of target players each lose two life and sacrifice a creature. You add black, black, and draw a card for a one-two. Mm-hmm. So sacrifice two other creatures, tapper, they lose a bunch of resources, you get mana back. It is the new card for Aristocrat-style decks, and I think this card, it plays such a strong role in the deck. So Pitiless Pontiff is the other Aristocrat-style card we have in this set, which is a two-two that you can sac a creature to make Pitiless Pontiff indestructible on death touch. And I was like, that's kind of good. It's like Cartel Aristocrat. Cost mana, I'm not a huge fan. The fact that this doesn't cost mana, generates mana, and interacts with your opponent's board is huge. And so many different ways. The fact that you can do this in instant speed is huge. Plays really well with the card Gutter Bones, which we'll talk about later. But essentially, all you need to know there is if your opponent loses life this turn, you can pay one of the black to buy Gutter Bones back. So you make black black, you sacrifice Gutter Bones, you hit them, you draw a card, you trigger your Midnight Reaper, you trigger your Judith, right? We have some other dice effect. The deck's very good at cycling through itself. And when combined with the card Gusta Menagerie, I think this card is very likely to go over the top. And I think the only thing that might hold back the Aristocrat's deck right now is the card Goblin Chain Whirler. So far, and this is early stages, right? There are probably other cards we could play that they don't die to Chain Whirler as much. But a lot of things are weak to that. And it's so aggressive and powerful. But I think there is an Aristocrat's deck and just how good, it'd be, how good it's going to be is the real question. Not if there is one. Mm-hmm. So... That's all I had to say about the the profit. Well, I think that card's great. Uh, you know, you have to warp your deck around building it. Like, this is not a card you can just slot in and get it. Like, sacrificing two creatures is a lot to ask. But, you know, in some of our testing that we've done so far, like, playing with this card, like, that payoff is huge. And it does a lot, and it rewards you for doing so. And the card's fragile, and it's a 1-2. It's easy to kill. 
it, it does a lot of shenanigans, and and that effect is very powerful, and it's something that you should definitely. I, I'm also hopeful that it finds a home. Is it on your list as well? It is not. Okay, uh, but I anticipated that it might be on yours. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I, I will say one last thing: the fact that it does work at instant speed is something I didn't even I didn't even pay attention to until last night, where we were playing some games and someone attacked in the settle, and it's like I right, settle, my guy tap sack my two gutter bones. You lose two, and I'll buy back this gutter bone. That's a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. It's worth worth mentioning that it also becomes a removal target, like a lightning rod. Right. And the number of effects that it has, like, play so well in the things that you're trying to do. The fact that it makes your opponent lose life, so it activates spectacle by itself. The fact that... Also, it, just losing life, like, because sometimes your decks just do a lot of cool things and don't go anywhere. Right. So you at least ping them. Right. Yeah, this this will kill your opponent. The, the lose life activates spectacle. It draws a card to make sure that you're continuing to fuel your engine. It makes mana so that you can ramp and cast other spells or use all of the things that you would need to do to buy stuff back. Like, it lets you pay for the taxing effect. Like, it does all of these things that fit well together for the idea that you have to sack two creatures. So, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that card's great. I, I'm hopeful that it, it finds a home uh, and that it's going to be a miserable thing to play against if it does. <laughs> Strong agree. What's your card? Uh, so, my first card is one that we already talked about. My hopeful card was Ethereal Absolution. Which one was that one? Ethereal oh, Absolution. Oh, that was my the, enchantment. That's right. Yeah, yes, that's, yes. The, that's the Orzhov enchantment that uh, is the zealous static persecution. zealous persecution. Um, which I think we talked about that card a lot. But yeah, I, I'm hopeful that that card is good. Um, and I do think that it will be good in the ways that we talked about. And that's playing treasure map or playing some other type of ramp effect uh, that, that makes you interested in, in getting it out ahead of schedule. And it's going to make things very difficult for your opponent. Would you just want to do your next one then since we already did that one? Sure. Uh, my next one is Prime Speaker Vanifair. Whoa! <laughs> oh, Vanifar. Sorry. Vanifar. Prime Speaker Vanifar. Or as I call it, Prime Speaker Vanity Fair which is way easier to do. And it's, you know, a long-running magazine for the people that like it. Uh, Prime Speaker Vanity Fair is green, blue, and two. It's a legendary creature, Elf Ooze Wizard. Sacrifice another creature. Uh, tap, sacrifice another creature. Search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to one plus the sacrificed creature's converted mana cost. Put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Activate this ability only any time you cast a sorcery, and it is a 2-4 creature. This is essentially the birthing pod on a dude. The, we talked about it some uh, last week. We talked about it a lot. We talked about it a lot, and, you know, so I don't want to rehash a lot of things, but it's basically, like, I really liked playing birthing pod when birthing pod was a card. Like, I had a lot of fun doing that, and the deck-building challenges that are there with a card like that are interesting. I don't know whether or not this card's going to be good enough, but I'm hopeful that it is. I'm not sure whether or not the payoffs are enough right now to justify the way that you have to warp building your deck around this. But if the payoffs are there or that we end up with more payoffs down the road, you know, in future in future sets and things like that, this is a card that I'm really interested in. But I'm hopeful that it is something that ends up doing and that it finds a home because I like that kind of thing if it becomes worth playing. What do you think about it in modern? It is a two-card combo in the game. It is a two-card combo in the game, you know, and I think that it do you, gets... Do you know the combo? Do you know, do you know the combo people are talking T- about? Tell it to the listeners. I, I, if I remember the names correctly, so you play Vandy, or Var, or whatever her name is, then you sack a bird, uh, Bird of Paradise, and you go get Scrib Ranger to untap it, to sack it, to get... Um, I can't remember exactly the name, but there's another creature that untaps it, that you then sack for Restoration Angel to Blood Gift, and then you sack... Uh, that to get Kiki Jiki, and then you go infinite. Right. Basically from there. So Just for, so if you have that plus a one mana. I can't remember. The three drops are very important in the chain, but that's essentially it. But essentially, if you have bird and vanity, you can kill your opponent. So, I mean, I think it's interesting, right? Like, we know we know that the payoffs are there in modern, mm-hmm. right? Like, the pieces are there because Birthing Pod was already a deck. 
Um, and so having options like that that are there, and also with like Kiki Cord and stuff like that of like wanting to tutor up utility creatures of the thing that kind of replaced Birth and Pod, like I think that there is a home for this there. Yeah, I, I think I'm hopeful for that card and really want it to be good. I, I don't know if it will, but it's powerful. Yeah, it's a super powerful effect. And that's, that's why it ended up in the hopeful section of like, I'm with you. I don't know if it's good. I hope that it is mm-hmm. because it's a fun, it's a fun thing to do. Tutoring up stuff is fun and uh, like building a deck with the idea that you're going to tutor stuff up is also a difficult deck building challenge and so it's a fun it's a fun card to have in the environment. Very rewarding. Also that card looks very rosy red than the wild. <laughs> For sure. So worth mentioning, haste. Haste is powerful. I my last hopeful card is I saw this card I think on the first day. I've been a believer in this little homie. <laughs> this is my dude. I've been trying to put him in all the decks. This is Biomanager's Familiar, blue green for a creature mutant. And then it's a two two and it has a static ability of activate abilities of creatures you control cost two less to activate. This effect cannot reduce the mana or the cost of an ability below one. So even if your thing only costs two, you'll go down to one, not zero. Very important for infinite stuff. Then you can also tap homie. This uh, the next time a creature adapts this turn, it adapts as if it has no plus one plus one counters. So that part of the text box is kind of important for standard because your adapt creatures are very good at leaving allowing you to leave up mana for cards like Thrill Mystic and things of that nature, and then. This will allow you to adapt multiple times, which will build your army. I've also done cool things where I've, like, blocked, tapped this, adapted. The little homie lived, and I untapped, adapted again, Hadana's Climb, and killed someone. Because it's like, well, it was only plus four. I was, like, plus six over two turns. That's a huge amount of damage coming out of Hadana's Climb. I think the part of the card that's actually more interesting is the fact that it is exactly like the card Training Grounds from Modern, which is a one and two blue enchantment that has the same first ability as Biomancer's Familiar. So I think in standard... This card should be kind of looked at for the top ability, and it just so happens its bottom ability works well with the adapt creature, so you're going to have some natural synergy there. But it, putting it in decks where activated abilities are a key part of the deck that have a mana cost is very powerful with this card, because reducing mana is one of the most messed up things you can do. I have no real clue what you're supposed to do with it, and in fact, I think there's nothing right now, but this is a card I'm hopeful for in the future. That I think when we get to like an 8-set standard at the end, it's going to be like, okay... I have all these activated abilities. My mana will be perfect. It will be on perfect at that point. I imagine we're going to get more dual lands in the next sets. What do I do with this card? So it's a card that I'm really hopeful for as things go down the line. And I know Sam Party has been talking about it in Modern. He talked about how he had a training ground second mod that used Duskwatch Recruiter, Eldrazi Displacer, I believe is the mm-hmm. card that blinks, um, and then something else. So essentially, with training grounds and that card, it was like kind of some anti-synergy because you wanted cards like uh, Collective Company and Quarter Con and Tudor Palmer pieces. But this card's now another training ground that gets hit off your collecting company. So you whiff a little less, you curve a little harder, and we mentioned it a lot, and you know, Sam was the guy that said it, but creatures have such a low fail rate, right? And a lot of the combo decks in Modern have this high fail rate at times because you can draw it on half of your pieces. While they're more susceptible to removal, they do just attack, which can be very powerful in certain matchups. So I'm hopeful for my matches from there. Yeah, I, you are not lying when you say this has been your homie since the, <laughs> since the beginning. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, I'm with you. The card does some powerful stuff. And, and it, the fact that it turns every one of your adapt creatures into a mana sink always mm-hmm. uh, is something that's intriguing. You know, it is a creature which gives it a low fail rate, but it's a relatively unimpressive creature. Yeah, it's, it's just, just a 2 It's just a 2-2. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a straight grizzly bear that doesn't really do anything outside of that if you don't have any of these other things going on. Yeah. And so it is relatively unimpressive when you're not, like, doing the shenanigans that it's there to do. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing the shenanigans that it's there to do, it can do some stuff. I'm with you. I'm not sure if all the pieces are there yet for standard. Yeah, I, I would say, the, the imagine if we get a card that's like Duskwatch Recruiter, right? Just like some activated ability to look at the top couple cards of your deck, put a creature to your hand, right? We get something like that, 
even if it costs one more, makes this card it's like one in a green. And then in modern, like I don't know, I think this card will probably see a good amount of play in modern if the deck's actually there. But like green, look at your top three added creature is essentially your uh your essentially have impulse like all the time. Uh, Adventures impulse, sorry. So I'm really hopeful for this card. I think modern it will see we'll see some five of those the first weeks. If it lasts or not, I'm not sure. KCI, we'll see where you are tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, big times. The podcast listeners know the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. They, they they know the future. <laughs> yeah, I might have just bought a deck that's going to get banned. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the next category? The next category we have is Sleeper. So these are cards that we think are going a little underrepresented right now. We're not seeing a lot of talk about them, and we think these are good cards that just aren't getting love for some reason. Trey, do you want to go first on Sleeper? I'm sorry, I was... Taking a nap. I know my voice is very soothing. It's very soothing. This has been Even Odds Pod on NPR. Yeah. <laughs> um, Up next, This American Life. When pig sloth. <laughs> <laughs> we go to a small town in Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, sleeper cards. Uh, my first one is one that was already been mentioned uh, a little bit, but we didn't talk about it in much detail, and that is my homie, Frilled Mystic. Frilled Mystic is uh, the New Mystic Snake, which Mystic Snake was an old card. This is a new card that's similar to Mystic Snake, but it's not Mystic Snake. So this is green, green, blue, blue. Uh, it is a 3-2 Elf Lizard Wizard. It has Flash. When Frilled Mystic enters the battlefield, you may counter target spell. It's counter spell on a dude, uh, and you get a 3-2. This card is great. Like, being able to play this type of a counter spell and giving creature decks and tempo decks this kind of an effect on a guy that can also beat down and not only can beat down, but can be interacted with in a positive way in the ways that you can interact with creatures. You know, it's hard to return a instant to your hand. It's not necessarily hard to return a Frilled Mystic to your hand, or to blink it, or do any other kinds of shenanigans that are available to you. And if you have a board presence that can get it down early and be ahead from a tempo standpoint, and then just be able to have ways to leave mana up and get payoffs going forward, Frilled Mystic creates a nightmare for your opponents. It's like, okay, I combat, combat sucks. Casting things sucks. Trying to get caught back up sucks once you fall behind. This card is uh, very good, and I don't know why there aren't more deck lists and things that are being talked about with this card. Yeah, I think the thing that people... I don't know. So part of the problem is I think Cynic was a, a tribe that needs a lot of pieces before you can start building decks with it. But I agree with you. Like The card's very strong. It's on its base rate, right? And it's the type of effect that you can just kind of look at and not even just in Simic decks, but in, like, green-blue style of decks. Like, you could, in theory, if you, let's say you're playing a ramp deck, and let's say you normally would maybe want a negate-type card for whatever reason in the metagame. You're just like, there's a lot of combo decks, I want some negates. You can play Field Mystic, mana is, like, easier for you to use, right? Under that kind of circumstances, this card has a lot of potential. And now we even have Field Mystic and Modern, which is important with, like, our Prime Super-type decks, too. So, I'm a big fan of this card. I think you said everything I could think of with this card. It's just so strong. Yeah, I I love it. I, I it's my favorite of the you know four mana tribe creatures that they've made so far. I think this card's very powerful. Uh, all of them? Well, this set. Oh, this set. Okay, I was curious. Crack on Drake's hold special place both on. Yeah, it's true. Crack's <laughs> <Perks> messed up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so what's your first sleeper card? I'm also on the Simic train here. I got a growth chamber guardian. One in a green for a creature elf crab warrior. Two in a green adapt two, so you can put two plus one plus one counters on it. Worth mentioning that can be done at instant speed. I think a lot of people think it has to be sorcery. Matters a lot with Frilled Mystic, your homie. Then, whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are put on Growth Chamber Guardian, you may then search your library for a card named Growth Chamber Guardian, reveal it to your opponent, and shuffle your deck. This is, it's been compared to Squadron Hawk, and I think it's probably a little bit worse than Squadron Hawk because we don't have the synergies like Jace the Mind Sculptor to really put it over the edge. But, it's a 2-2 that becomes a 4-4 and draws you a card. 
And when you're thinking like Field Mystic and you can like attack and you're playing against a control deck, and then if they play something that's worth carrying like a Teferi, you Field Mystic. And if not, you just search up another one, play it, hold up your Field Mystic command, and go. This kind of card's very good, and it works very well with a lot of the plus one, plus one cards we talked about, right? Like Rhythm of the Wild. If you like go Elf Rhythm, then you play this, grab another copy of itself, like bring a Riot counter on it, and then play it again, grab another copy. It's like, all right, I have now two three threes on the board. Hold up my Field Mystics, go. I think Gross Chamber Guardian is very strong. I don't know if it's strong enough to usurp the Explore package, but it's worth at least talking about for a hot minute in Black Green. Black Green's all about card advantage. It's about using your mana efficiently. And this card does this search up another card. So maybe if you want to play a lower to the ground black green deck, you can play this and Logoth Walker and Jailer Ranger and Morphle Frank Walker. I, I think it's very good. Yeah, I think the card's very good. I, I will say, uh, first off, uh, comparison, comparing it to Squadron Hawk can be dangerous when you're looking at it because it only tutors one at a time. It yeah. doesn't tutor all of them the way that Squadron Hawk does. It's more like slow quadrant that's bad, didn't work out. Wow. I tried it. But it's a crap. So it's got little pinchers, which I like. You know, I, I do think that it's still a very powerful effect. It's hard in Black Green. The Explore Package creates such a limitation on deck building. Because, like, if you have any interest in the Explore Package, it's just, like, 12 cards. Like, yeah. it, it just takes a huge chunk of your deck immediately because you need Wild Growth Walker, Merfolk Branch Walker, and Jade Light in order to, like, make it worth playing the first one, right? If you want Wild Growth, then you want the other ones. And, um, but if there's a spot for this, like, this card is very powerful. It's a good two-drop. But we've also seen the limitations of other good two drops with like Thorn Lieutenant. The Thorn Lieutenant's a powerful green two drop that I think in an environment where there weren't this explore package, we probably would have seen a lot more Thorn Lieutenants in play. And we still see a good bit in the Slesnia decks too. Right. And so, you know, there are places where I think that this is going to be something that we want, but like just being a good green two drop is not enough when you're competing against the cards that need a bunch of other cards. Yeah, I, the last thing I'll say is I've tried decks that have the explore package in this, and it does work well together because the explore package gives you extra lands. So it's very easy when I mean, you're never missing your land drops. Like, play this activated all in one turn cycle, which is much more appealing, especially if you weren't going to use that mana. Yeah. And I will say that the adapt mechanic in general has played out better in the playtesting than I initially thought that it was going to. The, just having those turns when you can play it and pump and do those kinds of things are good, and especially if they have another payoff like this, it's been very powerful. But, you know, I also can say, like, in a lot of our playtesting, we have started building decks that are green that had a lot of other cards in them that weren't the explore package. And then we've played some games, but like, hey, what if we took those cards out and put the Explore package in and see how it goes? Like, that's been a pretty common, like, central theme of discussion, which has been somewhat disappointing as far as, you know, new and exciting things, but, like, it's it's good for a reason. Yeah, I, I think that's more of a symptom of Rakdos and Gruul and stuff being so good, too. We'll see how it all breaks out. Who right. Knows? It's, it's easy to go down the wrong roads in testing. But I, I'm with you on this card being a sleeper and the idea of, like, this is a card that I think is, is good, you, you should pick up. And that it's something that's going to see play, and, and there's a lot of potential with that card. Yeah, I think it's also important to pick it up before it spikes, because if it spikes, it spikes exponentially. It's right. not a card like, you know, Hydra Crassus, or maybe, I guess that's a card you want for, but there are cards that maybe you just want one or two of, and it spikes, and you're like, oh, that sucked. If this spikes, it spikes times four. Dynamite. My other sleeper card is best friends with my first sleeper card. So my first sleeper card, Frilled Mystic, his best friend is a card that has not gotten any love, which is Biogenic Ooze. Uh, <laughs> so many decks at this combo. Keep talking. <laughs> it's so good. Mason wasn't a believer when I showed it to him on paper. Then he's been playing with it. He knows the truth. Yeah, I've cut it from mine. So Biogenic Ooze is green, green, and three. It's a mythic rare. Ooze. It's a 2-2. Two, two, and then whenever Biogenic Ooze enters the battlefield, create a 2-2 two, two green ooze creature token. At the beginning of your end step, put a plus one, plus one counter on each ooze you control. And then it has green, 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 
One, so four mana, create a 2-2 green ooze creature token. On the turn that you play it, you get four power and toughness worth of creatures. And then if it survives to the end of that turn, they become three threes. So you get six power and toughness for five mana, which is a good rate on its face, right? Like just vanilla testing, that's a good rate. Then, if you have this, especially with Frilled Mystic, you don't have to play another spell. Like, this card will win the game by itself. Like, if every turn you're just tapping and making an ooze, and essentially making a 3-3 that becomes a 4-4, that becomes a 5-5 every turn, you're going to win the game. It also then allows you to put your opponents in a pincher of, Frilled Mystic is up, if they cast a spell, they're going to get countered, and if they don't cast a spell, you make an ooze. It just creates a difficult situation and gives you a good payoff, which is something that you always want in that kind of a tempo deck when you've got these counter spells. Is okay, you don't want to take a turn off to leave a counter spell up and then have to take a turn off. Like with ooze, you don't have to do that. You could take a turn, leave the counter spell up, and if they don't do anything, you make an ooze. And it lets you play those kind of games that I think are really interesting, and I think that this card is extremely powerful. Uh, so I think this card is strong, and I think even more so what happens is when you first start playing with the new cards, what happens is people play into Frilled Mystic, and then you play ooze. So it's not even that we, like, play Ooze, hold up Frilled Mystic on the next turn. It's like, they get super tempoed, right? They lose their turn, we put a 3-2, we put two more 3-3s three, in play, we hit them, we pass. That kind of game plan happens a lot. I think this card's even better in ramp decks than it is in mid-range decks, but I will say that the card is very good, and the only reason I cut it from my deck is it was just, we had too many good things going on. Right. So that, that's kind of a problem, uh, I think. But I think the card is strong, and I think we are going to see a good benefit. Um, and I think ramp decks are going to play it a lot, because it works very nicely on curving out. And another card that we talked about earlier that goes with this that we haven't talked about is Wilderness Reclamation. Can untap your lands at every turn. You can, like, make an ooze, untap your lands, make an ooze, and they both grow. I mean, like, it is another way to do it other than, like, there's more utility to that card other than just playing big instants. Well, yeah, it's even more like a sideboard play. Right, right exactly. Your player brings in four spell pierces and a negate, a duress, or whatever, right? And you're like, cool, I'm going to still have these cards also for ooze. Right. So... So it is something to keep an eye on for those decks as well. If you're if you're that type of a player that you're wanting to play the kind of Bant Fog style decks, you should be packing those oozes in your sideboards. You really should. Uh, also, like if your deck is uh, Hydroid Crisis, Carnage Tyrant, this and Ramp spells, that's pretty good. Like there's a lot of ways to win the game. They all basically reward you for having extra mana. Finally, I mentioned this card. My next card is Hydroid Crisis. We talked about it a little bit last week. It is the X Blue Green Jellyfish Hydra Beast. That when you cast a spell, you gain half of X life and draw half of X cards around it down, flying trample, and there's a battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it. The reason that this card is a sleeper for me is I think it got all I, I played into this too. I got a lot of love in being ramp decks. But I think what I've learned from playing with it is, while I think it is a 10 out of 10 in ramp decks, if you have a blue-green deck that's like kind of tempo based and wants to go longer and you need something like a Vivian Reed or a Vraska to go over the top, but you don't want to play with those kind of cards, and you have other plus one, plus one kind of synergies, this card can be that card that goes over the top for you, and it's still just good enough. And it has weird synergies with cards like Hadana's Climb. So an example of the thing that I did is, I played a turn one elf, a turn two Hadana's Climb, turn three this, drew a card, gained a life, put a counter on my Crassus, my Crassus was a 3-3, three, three, flipped my Hadana's Climb, so it was never really exposed to removal. And it's like, alright, I don't have a huge Crassus, but now I have like, essentially a 6-6 six, six attacking if I want it to be, right? So I can not tap out for Counterspell mana. And I also have ramped myself a land, essentially, which is good for the next crisis, and I've moved my thing out of combat. And in late games, one of the problems with Field Mystic decks that I've found personally is that they the game goes longer because players respect Field Mystic at a certain point once they start playing against it. And as such, you need some way to really punish them for going longer. But the Explore Package is really good at that, and the Explore Package with Crisis is really good at that. So I think this card is even better than I thought it was before. 
I still don't like it in control decks, but I think it has a real home in mid-range decks. And I think out of the sideboard of control decks and reclamation decks, it is totally reasonable. I love this card. This is on my list as well for the next category. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, so, I guess, do you just want to talk about it there? Cause like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, our, our next category is hits, which are, these are the cards that we think are, are just home runs, that this is the thing that we think are really big hits and are... are, are did you do Ghost Sleepers? Yeah, I did Frilled Mystic and Biogenic Ooze. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. My bad. I forgot Frilled Mystic wasn't. How dare you? That card's good. Yeah. Do you know that card is the biggest upgrade for the Tribal Deck Wizard? Yeah. Yeah. Also, you know what's going to be great is when your opponents forget about Frilled Mystic and then you get them. And then you get them right there. <laughs> That's true. You're playing EDH, your friends are playing Liver Tribal. You're like, what are you doing? And got them. So. By the way, that card does have real synergy with, like, Wizard's Retort, for example. It is it is a wizard. <laughs> right. And an elf and all kinds of other things yeah. for just for talked nonsense. talked about Legacy last week. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Riptide Laboratory. Doesn't really work with this card that great, but it could. It could. Stack, baby. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so hits. Yes. So my first hit is Hybrid Crassus. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You may have heard about this card. Should we explain hits? This is kind of like every Taylor Swift song. Just hits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I won't edit. That's two seconds. I edit too much. Keep talking. <laughs> That's just the truth, and you can't come at me. <laughs> no, I love Taylor Swift. 1989 is yeah. a great album. Red's a great album. Yeah, they're all good. Yeah, the newest one is not my favorite. That's pretty, um, hmm? That's pretty good. I like yeah, it. It's all right. It's not my favorite. Taylor Swift minute. We'll see you all next right. week. That's been Taylor Swift <laughs> on Even Hot Spot. Hydroid Crassus, obviously, for a lot of the things that we're talking about. You know, this card is a card that's... The general thought with it when it first came out was that this was a card that you didn't want to draw early and was only good late. And in playtesting and everything like Mason was talking about, that's not the truth. Like, it's just a card that's good in the middle parts of the game and it's good in the late parts of the game. Like, it can get you to the later parts in the game and then it can also then just put the game away at the end of it. And plus, this card is a Jellyfish Hydra Beast and it, it has flying and trample and it draws cards and gains life. And trample is real. Trample is real. There are a lot of, like, 1-1 flying tokens that you don't think about until you play the game. Because you think, like, there's Phoenix and Doom Whisperer and uh, Drakes, right? Yeah. And, like, most of them are going to trade the crisis anyways, and I maybe trample for one. But if your opponent's plan is to chump block your flyer with their 1-1s, that does not work against the crisis, which is, I think is huge for this card, too. Right, yeah. If they're playing, like, Healer's Hawks and Rustwing Falcons, which has been big cards in the in the previous iteration of Standard, yeah. right? That's not going to do much against the crisis. Yeah. And so, you know, I think this card's a hit, and it's also all the kind of nonsense that I want to sign up for just in general. Like, it's the type of thing that I like in a card, and I think it's also good uh, in addition to that. I think this card's a home run all the way around. Yeah, the card's very powerful. I think the best way to describe this card is you really think of it like a mobile spell, which I know we've talked about this card a whole lot. I know we've mentioned this. I just want to say it one more time. The card really does scale well, and the fact that cards scale is very important in modern magic, and the fact that it you want it to be for 10 mana. You want to draw four, make an 8-8, eight, eight, uh, gain four life. But the fact that you can have that and be like, oh dang, I'm getting beat down, I need a 2-2 two, two right now, gain a life and cantrip, I gotta find something. The fact that you can do that is night and day with cards. You would never really play the 10 mana card, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't play that card, but when the card does everything, it's so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which first hit? I don't even need my phone to look at them anymore. I know the last two cards by heart because I oh. think they're two of the best cards in the set. I've said this earlier, and I said it last week. I think Judith is one of the best cards in the deck. I think there are five incredible cards. I think three of them go to Rakdos in the set. One High George Crassus, and one I keep close to my heart, but I can't remember its name. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it otherwise. Rixmati Reveler is my first card. It's one in a red for a 2-2 human that says when it enters the battlefield, you may discard a card. If you do, I'm sorry, you may discard a card 
draw a card. There's no if you do, which is very important. We'll get there in a second. The second uh, part of this card is it has, I believe, speculate? Spectacle. Spectacle. It's so easy. They're clowns, Mason. It's like the greatest showman. <laughs> spectacle. If you play that spectacle cost, which is two black-red, you discard your hand, draw three cards. This card is insanely good, as you might imagine, in red decks. We've seen how powerful cards like Bedlam Reveler is in modern. There was a lot of comparison to that at first, and people like they were saying, it's not really that because it costs more mana. But the truth is, games of standard go longer, so it doesn't really need to. And the fact that you can always play it on turn two is very important. I have so much to say about this, it's going to be a minute, so get ready. So Vashina Pyromancer is a card that's seen play in modern red, but if you're not playing a whole lot of burn spells, it's not really that good. This is what led to Ben Whites and Sam Party playing the big red deck at the PT. Is there were a lot of really good red cards, and the really only thing they need to do is figure out two drops. They got the Dire Fleet, Daredevil, and Goblin Crater with it. This card is much better than that. It allows you to filter through your draws, has synergy with cards like Risk Factor, it just synergizes well with cards, and it also allows you to refill in the late game. Now, I get it. A lot of people aren't a big believer in the big red deck like I am. But think about this even in your little red decks, right? Like your Experimental Frenzy decks, your Risk Factor decks, your Flamethel decks. It allows you to discard cards like Risk Factor. It allows you to discard the extra land and draw a card. Now, you notice earlier I said it's not if. You discard a card, then draw a card. If you draw this off the top and you play it, you just draw another card. If you have no cards in hand when you play this, and I've checked with the judge. Now, the judge is an L2 that said, unless the rules say differently in the full thing, no, that would be is, very this, unlikely. This is the way that it works. So yeah. it, it is, if you have cards in your hand, it's rummage. Yes. So, which is the generally the red loot effect. Which exactly. is you discard first, then draw. Yep. And then if you don't have any cards in hand, you're hellbent, you then you just draw a card. Because yep. you can't discard it, and it's not an if, there's not any kind of intervening clause. And so it is literally just cantrip. Yeah. If you have no cards in hand. I just want to clarify that because the judge did say unless something changes with the next rule update. Because they do do rule updates with each set. So, at the time of recording, this is how the card works. Probably still works this way. That is huge in your aggressive red decks. Think about for a second when you draw off the top late game. You're like, oh, I just get to draw another card. That is huge. So much selection. We haven't even talked about the fact that the red-black decks can play so many different game plans. They're like, you have enough burn cards to play burn decks with all the black and red uh, burn spells. This card essentially becomes draw a card, we'll get rid of your extra lands, or use the risk factor like I talked about. In mid-range decks, it allows you to play a little extra lands and filter through them and have graveyard synergies. Our homeboy Gutter Bones, right? You can discard Gutter Bones if you draw it on turn two and you can play on one, you're going to curve out, buy them back later. And then late game, it's very easy to ping them when we talk about the next card here in a second, we'll get damage across and draw three. I think Rick's Mighty Reveler is... It might actually be the best card in the set when you look at magic cards in general. And I, I guarantee you at some point, this card will see... Like, eternal play. It is that strong. That's my opinion on the card. You, you doubting on that one, I can see in your eyes. The, yeah, yeah. I mean, this card, I, I believe, is the truth. Yeah. I just spent six minutes talking about it. No, I, <laughs> I think the card is absolutely great. You know, I did raise an eyebrow when you said eternal play with its spectate cost costing four. Four is a lot for that kind of effect. That, that is true, but I think the Mardu Pyromancer decks already have shown that you can go long if you want to, and there are more synergies with graveyard cards than that. Right. For sure. So, when it comes to that, I think this card definitely has the chance to do that stuff. Now, I think that eventually there'll just be enough effects that involve Graveyard and the Mardu colors in red and something that that will happen. That's just basically, I, I think Magic's going to live long enough for that to happen. Yeah, it's possible. The problem with it is, too, in the eternal formats is that it has to compete against other cards that do similar things for less mana. That, that's fair. Right, that, that's the biggest thing, it, you know, with its cost being much. But in Standard, there's not a thing comparable that does that thing. Podcast listeners, don't tell Trey that New Modern's coming in a year and a half. That's the eternal <laughs> format. We've got him, boys. Don't worry. <laughs> hey. the, this episode of Even Odds Pod has had more whispering than any other. <laughs> this week? 
Rip's money right over. <laughs> all, all you were missing was like a subtle sip of hot tea in between your yeah. little uh, syllables there. We traveled to the circus. We learned a little bit more about Rick's. <laughs> Trey, what's uh, your last hit card? Just briefly before, while we're still in the Rakdos Guild, I still don't understand from a lore standpoint what's going on. Are they putting on a play? Are they murdering people? Are they putting on a play where they murder people? I don't really know what the deal is. I... I don't quite understand either, but my, the thing that I'm getting is that they're trying to play up the they're just chaotic thing. They're trying to have more of an interactive and then just like BA creatures. Yeah, but do you know how much work goes into putting on a stage production? I why watched would, the showman last night. Why I would know. people who were chaotic put on a stage show? You have to hire people. You need grips. You've got to do all of this work. You have not to build these things. Your things live or not, you just get a new one. <laughs> Did you not see the devil? They're murdering that person. <laughs> They're going to die. No one mentions that. I'm just saying. Also, like, the devil, I don't think, made the list because it's not all mine. <laughs> it seems like a lot of fun, but at the same time, I don't know why it's happening. And then why would there ever be more than an opening night? Like, if you went to the opening night and everyone got eviscerated, you would be like, well, closing night, like, that was it. That's You're the not Rakdos at heart, because if you were Rakdos, like, that was awesome. Next night, baby. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> All right, what's your last card? All right, my last card is one that we also already talked about, which is Rhythm of the Wild. Oh, okay. A- again, I think that this card is just a slam dunk. It, it slices, it dices, it Julie hit fries. It does everything. You know, like I talked about as a comparison of Fires of Yavamaya, that was an old card that just was a three-mana enchantment that gave creatures haste, and then you could sacrifice it to give them plus two, plus two until end of turn. Like, that's what the card did, and it changed the format that it was in. This card... I'm sorry, I just remember the fifth card is Incubation Druid. I oh, said the five card. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, ADHD. Keep going. <laughs> but this card gives them haste. This card makes them bigger. This card makes things uncounterable. Like, it does all of the things. Like, I, we talked about it a lot, but, like, it does so much for so little. And there, there's one more piece about it that we didn't talk about before, and I didn't worry about it because I knew I was going to talk about it again. Okay, this set has more incidental enchantment hate. And it has more incidental enchantment hate because there's so many dope enchantments. That's not necessarily good enough. So you have Mortify, right? Which you can destroy a creature or destroy an enchantment. So you're going to be playing it a lot of times in your more controlling decks to destroy creatures. But then you play Rhythm. And now they have to use the removal spell to destroy an enchantment or else lose the game. And they had to take a turn and take a time to do that. And they're still falling farther behind on the board. And so this can also affect the game in that way in addition to just all the effects that it does. It also puts them in weird spots where it's like, am I supposed to cleanse over these two Rhythm of the Wilds? Which takes them off on turns, you know, like that might, that's the best way for control decks currently as we know them to answer right now. They might, they're probably going to adapt Mortify and stuff like that to have answers to powerful enchantments. But still, if they're spending their turn five to cleansing over your rhythms, you probably have some sort of board and you can pressure them there. So. Yeah, yeah, it just creates nightmares, uh, which also means that I think it is a bad time to be a control deck in general. It's rough out there. Yeah. Absorb does a lot. Gain to three life against this card. Yeah. I'm sorry, Shaheen Sarani. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll never be happy. <laughs> All right. The last card. One of the best cards in the set. Theater of Horrors. Woo! Cards insane. Not sure why it's not getting talked about. Hold on. Wait a minute. Is that another three-mana enchantment that's totally messed up? There are a lot of them. All right. So this is one black-red for an enchantment that says, at the beginning of your upkeep, exile a card. You may play this card. You may play cards exiled off Theater of Horrors if your opponent lost life this turn. So you have to hit them. That's a lot. Except the card has black, or two, I'm sorry, two black red. Oh no, it's, it's three red. It's it, three red. It, it's red and three. Red and three, sorry, yes. To paying the target player or planeswalker, which the latter half matters a lot, we'll get there in a second. This card is Palace Siege, I'm sorry, Outpost Siege, for one less mana. 
but it has a little bit of a cost to using the cards. And so just briefly as a summation of a way to try to, it, is the card essentially has spectacle, even though it doesn't say spectacle. Yes. Right? It, it fits into the Rakdos mechanic of if your opponent lost life, you can do the effect. And so, and then it can also make them lose life in order to activate itself. Yes. That's very important, too, because it also enables cards like Rixmati in the late game if you need it to, and just things like that, you know, skewer the critics, those kind of cards. You can do that stuff. This card doesn't say you can play this card until end of turn, which I think is the part that I missed at first, and I think other people missed the first the first time you read it, and that's what makes this card insane, is that you can play it, and you can flip cards that aren't particularly good there, or maybe they are good, but you have no way to trigger it, and then later in the game, you get to play them. You also never miss land drops, basically, because of this. The fact that you never miss land drops lets you play these more mid-rangey black-red decks that are always kind of building up and using all their mana with cards like Gutter Bones, cards like this that ping them. And the fact that it pings Planeswalkers is also very unique because now it's very hard for your opponent to play Planeswalkers at minus and have them live if they don't immediately answer this. It also punishes Planeswalkers at minus to answer this. One of the things I first realized when I was playing this card, where I was looking at this card, is, oh, I'm going to play this card. I'm going to kind of pass and pressure my opponent not playing their counter spell. They're going to chemistry. They're going to play their Teferi. They're going to be tempted to get rid of my theater of horrors. But if they do, they lose Teferi. If they don't, they lose more life. Right? Where I can, I can ping Teferi down to kill it. It just always uses your mana. In fact, it also pressures Planeswalkers. Makes me feel like this card is supposed to be pushed. It's like very, it'd be very easy for them to be like ping target player. Mm-hmm. Right? And you can have Hexproof for Ghoul Guy and gain some advantage that way, blah, blah, blah. It's very clearly pushed. And it's very powerful. Yeah, and I think this card is really interesting in the fact that it costs three to cast. Yeah. Right? Like, there are a lot of games when you're playing against red decks right now where they're, like, sweating getting that fourth mana, right? Because they're incentivized to play a low land count because they're trying to stay aggressive, and they're, like, trying to get that fourth mana so they can flame the experimental frenzy that they have in order to start trying to chain off additional spells. This comes down sooner, this comes down easier, and then it just starts gaining value. I think this card's messed up. In red-black decks that aren't burn-focused, I think it's probably better than Experimental Frenzy, which is a weird thing to say, because it doesn't cut off your hand, and it still draws you cards. The fact that you can set it and forget it means that you have those Experimental Frenzy-type turns later. I, I think this card is insanely powerful. I, I don't have anything else to say. I've talked so much. I don't want to repeat myself. but <laughs> it, it's, just, it's a pretty good time to be a red mage right now, as far as card advantage is concerned, because you get to pick. You have this sea of riches of card advantage enchantments that you can pick from, and that they are better draw engines than half the other stuff that you have access to in other colors. It's crazy. It's crazy. Seriously, it's crazy. Also, I think, like, the only thing I can hold this card back is that there are so many good enchantments. Like, like it might just be a product of its format, but even then, it's going to see sideboard play. Aristocrat decks can play this in your sideboard. Yeah, sure. It's just like, oh, you're bringing a lot of creature answers, I'm going to bring these things that, like, now tax you. So it's another thing, too, that it, this is a card that's easily splashable in a lot of decks. Yeah, right. very true. Like, yeah. if you're playing, if there's some reason to be red in, like, maybe a Jun-style deck, this gives you card advantage. That might be that you might need a black-green deck that plays differently and needs actual card advantage. If this is your red card and Rixmati is your other one, you get a lot of lands off Explore. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, you hit a lot of lands, you need lands, Rixmati uses lands. Nothing can hold it back, except maybe a wall. I've heard a lot about those lately. <laughs> There are a lot of cards that reference walls in the set. Not a lot of walls, which is weird. Yeah, like, there, there's like the a goblin that like can't be like only be blocked by walls. Why does it just say unblockable? Right, and then there's the one that like uh, let, let your creatures with defender attack as if they didn't have defender, and it's like, are there? Is there a lot of defender in this that we're missing? There's the dragon back in M19 that this saw no play at all. Arcades is his Arcades, yeah. So now you have yeah. eight Arcades, which is something I guess to keep an eye out on. That's your fun one of the day. Yeah, but, I mean, I guess there are those like portcullis vine. Like you're gonna it's your portcullis vine. Deck. Hot take, 
Porkhole's fine. <laughs> oh, the, the the treasure one from uh, Rivals of Ixalan too. The O4 that makes a treasure. See, there you that go. Redemption your Arcades. That's just good deck building. <laughs> yeah, so you have the one that lets you sack them to draw cards, and then you have the ones that let you attack with them. And other than that, they're all terrible. And don't play this deck. <laughs> Sounds sweet. This is a plus O plus five uh, combat trick. Yeah, that's uh, overrun. Uh, in short, in summary, uh, don't build walls. All right. Well, that's gonna do it for this uh, <laughs> this set review. Got a little crazy there at the end. It did. That's my fault. That's our fault. <laughs> <laughs> I was there with you. I encouraged you. I hope you all enjoyed this set review. Tweet at us on Twitter where you can find us at Pod. What is your pick for the best card in the set? Let us know. Tweet at us. Trey, if someone wants to find you besides following Pod on Twitter, where can they go? They can find me on Twitter at TreyMC. You can find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can check me out on Twitch at twitch.tv slash TheMasonClark. I'm Basically, gonna I think I'd be very unlucky to not have the whole set when the set drops on Thursday on Arena. And I plan to stream all night Thursday, all night Friday. I'm going to go to the pre-release. I'm going to stream all night after that. I'm going to record even out to do the next time and stream all after that. Woo. So if you are interested in watching new stuff and you want to hang out, check out twitch.tv slash TheMasonClark. You can also check out the VOD. You can check out all almost all my streams over on the Constructed Criticism YouTube channel, which is a good segue for the network. The network. We're part of a network. If you didn't know, sometimes you might only be subscribed to our feed. We're part of the Constructed Criticism Network. So you can check out shows like Common Knowledge, All About Pop. You can check out Homework Path, Dad and MTG. I listened to the most recent Homework Path. I really liked it. He talked about setting goals for himself. And uh, it was kind of self-reflective on like his life and magic and him setting goals. And I thought it was very good, like almost tandem episode to our perception. And I think they were actually recorded around the same time. So it's funny. We were talking about similar things without ever knowing it at the same time. So I think if you're kind of a someone who's got a busy life and you have problems with setting goals, I definitely go listen to that episode of Homework Path. And then there's comment I'm sorry, there's constructive criticism, which is the flagship show of the network. We have Seth Manfield. Got it. Nailed it. Uh it's so embarrassing that's a nailed it moment. And John Stern. They're gonna be doing their set review this week as well. They're gonna talk about their most hyped cards. It's not as awesome as a pick two, but can be, am I right? <laughs> Trademark. Uh, but yeah, no jokes aside, they're crushing it over there. I'm going to go and make sure to check that stuff out. And like I said, my VODs are on the Constructed Criticism YouTube channel. So are all the podcasts, except for us uh, at the moment. Patreon! Um, so if you ever want to check out those shows and you like video formats, they're all there. And uh, it's also the time right now, weekly arena check-in. Where you at? Diamond, baby. Four. Well, Diamond, Diamond four. four, three wins. Okay. Where are you at? Diamond two, two wins. Oh, I thought you were Diamond three. No, son. No. Man, you're on the hunt for me. I've been grinding. If you haven't figured it out yet, we're bringing it up weekly. <laughs> <laughs> we are in a competition with each other, even though it doesn't really matter. Bragging and yeah. talking some smack does matter. If you haven't noticed a trend yet, whichever one thinks they're ahead will probably bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's... Very, very true. It's like Young Link on uh, Smash Brothers. You know, sometimes she's got a rep on him. <laughs> Gotta let the kids know, hey, I'm out here. Excalibur. Little little Mac forever. Thank you for rolling with us. Modern is still Magic's most popular format. But there have been a lot of complaints from the competitive community that it should, has no place in GPs and in the Pro Tour because it's this uncrackable shell that you can't get into a metagame decisions on and that you can't get an advantage or leverage all of your pro-level skills with. Except, Matt Nass exists. Wow! Okay, Matt Nass top-aided another modern GP with KCI. Another one. 
So you mean to tell me that he has played in five consecutive modern GPs with the same deck, and that his win percentage during that time is 84%? 84%! Normally, a good competitive magic win rate would be like 63 or 64%. 84%. He broke it. There's nothing else to say is he broke it. He took the most broad, uncrackable format and destroyed it. Chef's kiss to you, sir. But so what's everyone else complaining about? All of these pros and everyone else has been saying that they don't want to do this and that they are like, we need an answer to this format. We can't metagame this format. Matt Nass goes, play KCI. Excuse me, sir, you're in the way. We can't figure out what to do with this format. Wow, okay. It's sitting on a silver platter in front of you. You just refuse to pick it up. If that's what your goal is, no complaints. Wow. Okay. We're with us next week. 